Well, good morning, Valley Ranch Baptist friends. Gosh, three times I've been here and I am counting my blessings of 2023 and y'all are a big part of that for me. So thank you for your kindness, for your friendship, for actually asking me back. To come to a church once is amazing, twice is incredible, three times you know what you're going to get, right? No, I'm so glad to be here. My name's Joanne, and um, I am going to bring you a message from God's Word. We're going to look at two scriptures today, Psalm 121, and then on your note section that you received, if you grabbed it on the way in, we're going to jump to Luke chapter 7, Psalm 121 and Luke chapter 7. But first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for communion. Thank you for ushering us into your word by way of remembering your death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. So we partook of the living word, Jesus, and now we look into your written word that speaks of you. So in the spirit of communion, as we feasted on you, and your body and your blood given for us, poured out for us. Now we feast on your written word that speaks of you, and we are nourished. And so we thank you, O Christ, for all that you have done. We thank you, Father, for your great love in sending your Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry in making real to us the things of Christ so that we might be nourished. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but sermon ideas come from strange places. Now, actually, sermon ideas come from the Bible, so let me allay, assuage your fears. So good sermon ideas come from the Bible, but the way into a sermon or out of a sermon or ideas during the sermon uh, develop in strange places. So in my own personal history as a preacher and a teacher, ideas for things have come when I was mowing grass when I used to mow And doing something totally opposite of studying or praying was when the ideas would come, or oddly enough, brushing my teeth. Luckily, I do that twice or three times a day, so ideas can flow pretty, you know, quickly. So kids, brush your teeth, because ideas come to you then. But some ideas, like the ideas for this sermon, were born in Costco. That really has never happened to me before, so if you have your Costco card, or can you flash it? This is a moment. I am an influencer, so this is... No, not really. Costco. I love it. As a single person, I don't really shop at Costco much. I go there for the tires. The best tire thing. So I had a flat tire. I needed to get a change. So what do you do? You call Costco, and they squeeze me in on a Saturday. (laughs) That was fun. And they invited me to wait a while, at least two hours it was, in their food court. Now, I've never really looked at the food court at Costco. Have you looked at it lately? It's a bunch of picnic tables with hot dogs and pizza and cold drinks, right? So, so much for the food court, but I did sit there with everybody else munching on my hot dog and sipping my orange soda and watching the Costco thing. So when you come into Costco, as you know, you have to flash your card to say you're a member. I happen to be a gold star member. I have no idea what that means, but... I can flash that, right? So, and then when you come out, you have another ritual, and that is you have to show them your cart, and you have to show them your receipt, 
and then they put that highlighter mark through it when they just briefly look at your thing to make sure you're not taking out things that are not on your list, right? That's the ritual, the going, coming in and the going out. Well, watching two hours of this coming in, going out, coming in, going out, coming in, people watching, and it dawned on me, these are the words directly out of the Scripture in Psalm 121, verse 8. We're going to put it up on the screen for you there. It says, the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in, Costco in the Old Testament. It's amazing. From this time and forever. Now, what's interesting, this uh, word guard in the Hebrew is shamar, and it means not only to guard, like to to just like stand guard. It's not what God is saying. It's not passive in it. It's watching over and keeping you. So it's a beautiful word. It's mentioned six times in the psalm. If you read it later on, you'll see guard, 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 watch over you, watch over you. It's this word. But it says you're going out and you're coming in. This is a metaphor in the Old Testament for the activities of our life. Going out and coming in means you're living your life, all the things about your life the things that come into your life, the things that go out of your life. It's a metaphor for life. You know, Psalm 121 is called the Sojourner's Psalm or a pilgrimage song. It's part of the section of the Old Testament called the Ascent Psalms. So three times a year, the ancient Jewish people would go up to Jerusalem, literally up three times a year to worship for different feasts. And as they were walking, they would sing these 15 psalms that are in the book of Psalms, and Psalm 121 is one of those. Then when they got to the temple, there were 15 steps. Get to the temple, they would sing on their way up those steps, these different Psalms. So it was for travelers. Kids also were told by their parents to memorize this Psalm and to recite it. It's called the Soldier Psalm. Ancient Israelites in battle would actually say the words of this Psalm on the front lines. So it's a beautiful, beautiful Psalm. It's a psalm of confession, of confidence in God's care and keeping of our lives, now in the present and forevermore in the future. I don't know about you, but since 2020 and the pandemic, and I think the trauma of not being able to find toilet paper anywhere for weeks, that was the beginning of 2020. Somebody gave me a toilet roll ornament for my tree from 2020. <laughs> and when I put my tree up, this, I'm like, I remember that. I remember scouring, you know, for days to see where I could find it. But life has seemed squishy to me. Has it seemed like that to you? It's like uneasy. Like the pandemic popped the cork off of a lid of uncertainty and unease in our world. It seems like life is more complex it's, it's kind of more troubling. It's a little divisive. It feels different. And on this last day of 2023, we literally, as John said, as Amy said, we have no idea what's going to come into our lives or go out of our lives, coming in, going out. We have no idea what's ahead, right? We don't have any idea. 365 un days of unknown lie before us. Isn't that a comforting thought? And so the uncertainty that comes from not knowing breeds in us, can breed in us, stress and anxiety, a bit of fear, 
because we do face the unknown. And our question at the bottom of all the questions is, is confidence possible in 2024? Is a sense of confidence possible in the year that is totally unknowable to us at this moment? So keeping Psalm 121 in mind, this idea of coming in and going out as a metaphor of life, I want us now to run to Luke chapter 7. We're going to spend most of our time here. Uh, uh, verses 11 through 17, where there's a unique collision of coming in and going out in this little town that Jesus arrives at at the height of his popularity. Jesus is the first century OTW. He's the one to watch. And he's uh, been healing and teaching, and people are following him. The Jesus fan club is increasing. You know, he's the one everybody wants to be around and see what he's going to do next. And we pick up the story in Luke 7, verse 11. I think it'll be up on the screens for you. It starts this way. Verse 11 says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Soon afterward refers to a miracle Jesus had just done that's recorded in the 10 verses above this one. And this was a centurion's son was sick, and Jesus healed him at a distance by saying just a word. And the boy was healed. And word about that happens, and people start following. All the Klingons start to come and want to see what's going to happen with Jesus next. The word Nain, if you're taking notes, means pleasant. It's about 20 miles south of Capernaum, which was Jesus' home base where he lived and traveled from that place to other places. And verse 11 says his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So in addition to the 12 disciples, there are many, many people following Jesus now because of this miracle with the centurion. So they want to follow him and they want to see what the next thing is that he's going to do. And there's expectation, and there's excitement, and there's, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen next, right? Now, I want us to pause for a second. And think of the times in 2023 that you celebrated a win, just like this crowd. Maybe it was uh, someone got married. John just said his uh, daughter's getting married in a week, and, and, and there's there's things that you look forward to, a marriage, the birth of a child or a grandchild. There's, uh, you got into the school that you desired. You passed that exam. The things that we celebrate and win, I want you to know, whatever they were, Jesus is interested in celebrating your wins. He's with you in it. He takes joy in the wins that come into your life. We know Jesus is a party person because his first miracle is at a wedding, and he changes water into wine and saves the day. Jesus loves a good celebration. When there are wins in your life, don't just think Jesus is there with you in the hard times. He's there with you in the wins. So God, thank you for the wins that are represented by each person in this auditorium or those hearing my voice. And thank you for the beautiful moments of celebration that we've all experienced at one point or another this year. Jesus, thank you for being with us in those wins, for cheering us on, 
for being pleased as punch with your sons and daughters when they experience something beautiful. Because that's who he is. He's with us in the winds. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 7 says this, as he approached the town gate, Jesus and this whole crowd, get the idea, it's the 12, it's a whole crowd, he's approaching the gate of Nain, a dead person was being carried out. Now, if this ain't a collision of moods, I've never seen it before. I would love to be a, a movie producer or a director and create this scene. I hope when you read the Bible, you try to stop long enough to, to take in the scene Jesus and all of his guys are coming in, and they're singing and praising and high-fiving and joking and doing all the things that people do. And right as they're walking in, what's walking out is a dead person and a ton of grievers. Twelve goes on to say, this man, the dead man, was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So she'd already lost her husband. Now she lost her only and remaining son. And get this, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So a large crowd with Jesus, celebrating. Large crowd with the woman, grieving, mourning, crying. Things are going out of her life, not coming in. I want to show you a picture of the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem. This is quite magnificent. Jerusalem has many gates the ancient city, the walled city. This would be so much bigger, most likely, than Nain. Humble Nain probably didn't have this most beautiful gate. But gates were places of fortification. They were places of commerce. So um, selling things came in and out of the gate. Judicial matters were settled at the city gate. So it has a prominent position. If you were being attacked, you would close the gates of the city. It would be fortified in that way from a military perspective. So gates are super important in a way that we don't understand. We would say close the door, but they would say close the gate. So the gate is a very important part of the city. The dead person being carried out, I want you to get the picture. The guy is not in a coffin. The guy is on a stretcher called a beer, not the B-E-E-R, but B-I-E-R, which is like a, just a canvas-type stretcher. He would be carried on the shoulders of people. He'd be wrapped in cloths, so it's not a coffin situation. He's being carried out the city gate to be buried outside the city gate because he's dead. And he's the only son of his mother who's a widow. As I mentioned, she lost her husband already. Now she's losing her son. And this means her only means of support are gone. So women in the first century in Israel depended upon the male members of their family, their sons and their husbands or their fathers, to provide protection, financial provision, in every way, a woman needed a male protector. We see this in some cultures in our world today. The same idea exists. Now, this woman had no husband. She's a widow. And now her only son, her only son, is gone. This is a picture of complete vulnerability, of isolation and destitution. How different than what Jesus is walking in with fresh off a of success. Everybody can't wait to see what happens next. And at the same time, a woman going out to isolation, destitution, and complete vulnerability 
wrapped in grief. All this happening at the same city gate at the same moment. Large crowds attending. So there's the scene. I've written it this way. One crowd coming in celebrating, the other crowd going out grieving, laughing and crying, tallying wins and totaling losses, a celebratory son of man and a sorrowful mother, life and death, hope and suffering. What does Jesus do? The common denominator in both of these crowds of people is Jesus. What does he do? The next verse tells us 13 and 14. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier, the stretcher. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. This is the Greek word splanknon. This literally means his intestines. So there was something in Jesus that when his eyes saw someone in need who was vulnerable or the, the receiver of injustice or the effects of sin and death, something in seeing that person clicked into his innermost being and compassion came out of him that birthed itself into action for that person. This is a different sermon I'm about to tell you. <laughs> But we are in a culture of watching, not seeing. We scroll past so many crises in our moments on our phone. You'll do it today. We have become a culture of watchers, not seers. If you ask for anything in 2024, ask Jesus to help you see people, not just watch people. Now, Jesus sees her, and he feels compassion towards her. His heart went out to her, and he says to her, don't cry. Now, this is not a man going, don't cry, like an awkward thing, you know, kind of that guys can do when they don't know what to do with people's emotions, right? It's not Jesus being mansplaining. It's not that. The literal translation is, don't keep on crying. Why? Because I'm about to do something that you can't even guess. Don't keep on crying. And then he went up and he touched the stretcher. Now, for a rabbi, he obviously is well known at this point in his ministry. He's dressed as a teacher of the scriptures. He's dressed as a rabbi. He's easily identifiable. And he touches the stretcher. And in that day, religious people became ceremonially, ceremonially unclean by going anywhere near a dead body of anything. So for him to touch that stretcher, you would have to hear the gasp, the gasp from his crowd and the gasp from her crowd. It, the word here in the Greek is he forcefully held on to the stretcher to stop it. 
He went over there, compassion bursting from him, grabbed that stretcher with the dead body on it and held it. And it says later the bearers stood still. He like makes sure they stop. He stops a funeral. Don't you know that Jesus is the only person who can stop a funeral? He forcibly holds them back. The bearers stand still, and then he looks at the dead guy. As if Jesus isn't already weird enough, he looks at a dead guy and starts talking to him. And he says, young man, as if he's expecting an answer, I say to you, I don't know that he's talking to the young man. I think he's talking to death. Jesus is eyeballing death. The last enemy is death. And he's eyeballing death. And he's saying to that guy, I say to you. Death says one thing, I say to you. Get up. Okay, now picture it. The guy's stretched out. He's wrapped up. He's dead. Imagine him sitting into an upright position. And you were in that, like, what? People are running. They're screaming. They're like, what in the world? And then he talks. That's what the scripture says next. In verse 15, he says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. What does a dead guy say when he's just been raised from the dead? Like, it was a, where am I? Uh, who are you? Last thing I knew, I was, you know, I, what does he say, right? Wow. He sits upright and he begins to talk. That's pretty amazing to me. And then this most beautiful little phrase, and Jesus gave him back to his mother, which means in the natural that Jesus went over to the guy and helped unwrap him. I imagine his body's been prone for a day or two, so he's probably not used to walking and moving around. So Jesus helped him off the stretcher, unwrap the grave clothes, and helped him over to his mother physically, just said, here, here's your son back. But in reality, what Jesus is doing is he's reversing the effects of this death on the mother and the boy. She will no longer be destitute and alone and vulnerable. She has her son back. She has her son back. This is the same word about giving back to the mother uh, from Elijah and his ministry with the widow in the Old Testament, when Elijah raises the son and gives him back to his mother. How beautiful. I want to show you Tissot's painting. There's a French painter named Tissot, and he, it might be a little bit hard to see up there because the colors are similar, but there's Jesus right in the center, and then there's the boy. I can see it better here. He's just begun to sit up, and Jesus has a hold of him, and you can see the crowd. They're like, if you saw the individual faces, it's every possible emotion, right? Um, because no one had ever seen anything like this. Verse 16, they were filled with fear, literally, awe, rever reverential awe. We'd, we've never seen anything like this, and oh my gosh. They were filled with awe and praised God. 
And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. A great prophet has appeared among us. Elisha, in a town that's very close to Nain called Shunem, raised a woman's son in 1 Kings 4. Sorry, 2 Kings 4. So people know that the town they live in, Nain, is close to Shunem, and so they're connecting, aligning Jesus with Elisha. So that's why they say, a great prophet has come among us. They could also be thinking of Elijah as well because of the raising of the sun. So they're making a connection with Jesus on a human level. He's a prophet. He's in that line of people who are bringing God to people. They're, you know, just speaking God's words and doing these miraculous things to testify to who God is. They see him as a prophet. But then they say something different that leads us in a slightly different direction. They said, God has come to help literally visit his people. And this phrase, visit his people, is the Old Testament Uh, kind of code language for the Messiah. When God finally comes and sends his representative, the Messiah, who will be God's representative, it will be like God is visiting his people on earth. That's exactly who Jesus was. Emmanuel, God with us. God visited us as a human being fully God and fully man. So that's why they're aligning Jesus with the prophets, but they're aligning him with something greater than the prophets. They're aligning him with the Messiah, with the one who would come and be God's representative to man. I started this sermon with a question, is confidence possible in 2024? And I want to say unequivocally, yes! Yes, confidence is possible in 2024. Even though the journey to God and the journey with God sometimes feels more like being in California right now in the surf. Have you seen the pictures of the poor folks in San Diego County who are getting mowed over by the waves, right? That surf is incredible. Sometimes that's what, like, walking with God feels like you're in a storm more than a quiet stroll down a nice path, like we'd like to think walking with God is. But it's both, isn't it? It's sometimes a quiet trail that's a beautiful, refreshing experience. Sometimes it's in the middle of a tremendous storm, and you can't see all the outcomes. You're hanging on for dear life. I think 2024 probably has quiet trails and amazing storms ahead. Can we all agree that's probably what's going to be a mixture of those things? Because we live long enough to see that. Every year has its storms, and every year has its quiet, beautiful places. So because we don't really know what's ahead except those kind of categories, let me offer you some confidence-building truths that you can hold on to. I just have two of them for you to think about. The first thing is, what is unpredictable does not mean it's unpreparable. Let me say that again, put it up here. What is unpredictable does not mean it is unpreparable. That means even though you don't know what's ahead, you can prepare for the unknown. 
You can prepare for the unknown. The best way to face the change that you cannot anticipate is to be prepared spiritually. I don't necessarily mean read your Bible every day, pray every day, go to church, all those things. Those things are awesome to do. What I'm really talking about is something deeper. I got out of my car today, and I opened the door of my car, and I saw hinges on that door. I came into the sanctuary earlier, and I looked at the doors, and there are hinges on these doors. And you'll open the front door of your house, or you'll pull into your garage after church, and you'll close the garage door, and you'll open that door into your kitchen, and there'll be a hinge on that door. For a door to work properly, it must have working hinges. Because a door allows things to come out of your life and go in. It allows you to come out and it allows you to go in. That's a healthy door. It gives you entrance and exit. But the hinge is key. As a hinge is to a door, so is trust crucial for a Christian. That's like the hinge to our door. Call it dependence. Call it faith. Trust is is the most essential way you can prepare. And all those things we do, reading our Bible, going to church, taking communion, being in a small group, are ways that build our trust. Do you see? They are not in and of themselves magical. What they do in us is to build our trust. That's how we prepare. We're ready to trust when the door swings open and things come into our lives, we trust. When the door swings open again and something comes out of our lives in 2024, we trust. We teach and prepare ourselves to trust. If you have one prayer for 2024, God, teach me to trust you, to depend on you to rest the weight of my life on you. Here's the second thing. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus arrives at a gate. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. That's just slightly different. What that tells me is that Jesus is that door that opens and lets things in and opens and lets things out of my life and yours. Everything that comes into your life in 2024, I would say is father-filtered. Jesus knows. Jesus is with you in it. Whether it's a going out or a coming in, he's with you in it. He feels it with you. He's moved with compassion. He sees you in it. He's there with you. He celebrates if it's great. He mourns with you if it's, if it's not right. Jesus is as the gate. Here are the words of John 10, 9 and 10. Jesus says, I am the gate 
or the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved, will be rescued. They will come in and go out. There's our metaphor, come in and go out and find pasture. When you're in Christ, you can go in and out. Things can be good or things can be bad, and you will still find provision. The thief comes. This is the enemy, Satan. The thief comes to steal and steal and kill and destroy. I have come that my sons and daughters may have life and have it to the full. As we trust Jesus as our gate, what comes in and goes out will lead to our rescue, our provision our peace, and our fulfillment. It will, because God is good. Here's what confidence looks like on the threshold of 2024. Here's the statement. In 2024, Jesus knows what and who will come into and out of your life and bids you to trust in him. Trust him. Maybe that's our word. You know, friends of mine always have a word for the new year, and they have fancy words, you know, reconciliation and, and all these things. And maybe the word for us is just trust. Jesus knows what and who will come into and out of your life and bids you to trust him. And then here's how we trust Jesus. You want to know how to trust him? Charles Spurgeon says this, put all of your exits and entrances under one protection. Put all the things that come into your life and go out of your life in 2024 that you don't know already, you can put it under his protection. Jesus, it's yours. So we're going to pray, and we're going to do that, and I'm going to lead you and prompt you. So would you bow your head? And we're just going to be sentence prayers. Nothing real fancy. You're going to do it silently. No one will hear you. If, you're, if your loved one is near you, want to grab their hand, you can do that. But let's close out 2023 and welcome 2024 with prayer. The first way, I just want you to give simple thanks for 2023. Just thank God for this passing year. Can you just thank him? God, thank you for giving me life in 2023. I lived through it. Thank you. (laughs) Just thank him. Now move on to acknowledge Jesus as the gate of your life. Jesus, thank you for being the gate. I never knew that. That means everything that comes in and comes out of my life, you know it's filtered through you. I acknowledge you as the gate of my life, and I'm going to put all the things that come in and out of my life in this new year under your protection, under your wings. Do that. Put it all under his wings now. Get that settled in 2023. So tonight at 12.01 in the morning, everything's under his protection. Put it all under there. And then confess your confidence in God. Do you know what the Latin meaning of confidence is? It means with full trust. Con in Latin means with, and fide, which is the confidence part, means trust, full trust. 
with full trust. That's what confidence means. Confess your confidence in God. Would you just tell him you're confident in him? God, I trust you. I'm so confident in you that it, I can face the uncertainty of 2024 because I'm confident in you. You never change. You're always the same. You love me. You're good God. We have confidence that the maker of heaven and earth stands as our guardian, watching over our coming and going, both now and forevermore. Thank you, God. We can thank you for the year that is going away and for the new year that is to come. We confess to you that you are the gate of our lives and you know what's coming and what's going, and we can trust you with the knowing that we don't know because we know you and our knowing you causes us to trust you and we put all of the comings out and going in of 2024 under your protection Jesus as our gate and Father we want to express confidence in you that we are in full trust of you You've never let us down. We just sang about it. Is he ever going to let us down? No. He's not going to do it, ever. So Valley Ranch Baptist Church family, we can have confidence in 2024. We may not know what the new year holds, but we do know who holds us today and every day. And we can say with confidence, Jesus is the Lord of this new year. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this dear congregation, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would adopt the word trust or dependence as we head into this new year, a gift from you, trusting fully in who you are to take us through these next 365 days. Teach us to trust you, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.